Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. It's time for the word. We've got Pastor Kate with us. Who's enjoying this series? It's awesome, isn't it? I'm loving it. It's so, I don't know, it's just one of these sort of series where I just feel it's just so easy to apply. I can, I'm, I'm, you know, when sometimes some things are quite like heady and you're thinking, well, how does that, how am I, how does that work in everyday life? I just feel like this series, Kate, has just been so good at just being so applicable. Um, so we honor for that. Do you want to come on up? I'll pray for you and then. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Kate. Lord, we pray that today you would anoint her that she would be, um, yeah, that the river would run through her, through her life and that she would, the anointing and everything would just flow out and we'd be touched and changed by it. Lord, that we wouldn't leave here in the same way. Lord, that there would be, there'd be challenge, encouragement and application all in equal measure. We thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Morning, everybody. Morning online. Anybody not heard from their children yet? If you're watching kids, they won't be. Don't worry. Happy Mother's Day. I want to start this morning just by reading us a story. It's called The Cobbler. When I was a boy, I felt it was a duty and a privilege to help my widowed mum make ends meet by finding employment during the holidays and on Saturdays. For quite a while, I worked for a Scottish shoemaker, or a cobbler, as he preferred to be called, an Orkney man called Dan Mackay. He was overtly Christian, and his little shop was a real testimony for Jesus in the neighbourhood. The walls were literally covered with Bible verses and pictures, so that wherever you looked, you'd see the word of God staring you in the face. On the little counter in front of the bench where the owner of that shop sat was a Bible, generally open, and a pile of tracts next to it. No package went out of that shop without a printed message wrapped inside it. And whenever opportunity offered, the customers were spoken to kindly and tactfully about the importance of being born again and the blessing that it was to be saved and have Jesus in your life. Many people came back to ask for more literature or to inquire more particularly as to how they might find peace with God. And as a result, people frequently got saved in the cobbler's shoe shop. It was my chief responsibility to pound leather for shoe soles, a piece of cowhide would be cut to suit and then soaked in water. I had a flat piece of iron over my knees and with a flat-headed hammer, I pounded those soles until they were hard and dry. And it seemed like an endless operation to me and it tired me out constantly. What made my task worse was the fact that a block away, there was another shop that I passed going, going and coming to and from my home. And in there was a jolly, godless cobbler who gathered the boys of the neighbourhood around him and loved to tell them naughty tales that made him dreaded by respectable parents as a menace to the community. Yet somehow he seemed to be thriving, and a lot more so than my employer, Mackay. As I looked in his window, I often noticed that he never, he never pounded the soles at all. He just took them from the water, nailed them on, damp as they were, and with water splashing from them as he drove each nail in. One day I ventured inside, something that I had been warned I should never do. Timidly I said, I notice you put the soles on the shoes whilst they're still wet. Are they just as good as if they were pounded? And he gave me a wicked glance and answered, they come back all the quicker this way, my boy. 
Feeling I'd learned something, I related the instance to my boss and suggested that I was perhaps wasting my time trying to dry out the leather so carefully. Mr. Mackay stopped his work and opened his Bible to the passage that reads, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Harry, he said, I don't cobble shoes just for the money that I get from my customers. I cobble shoes to the glory of God. I expect to see every shoe I have ever repaired in a big pile at the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't want the Lord to say to me on that day, Dan, that was a poor job. You didn't do your best. I want him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he went on to explain that just as some men are called to preach, he was called to fix shoes. And only as he did this well would his testimony count for God. It was a lesson I've never forgotten. And often when I'm tempted to be a bit negligent and careless, I'm reminded of dear old devoted Dan Mackay. And it stirs me up again to seek to do all that I can to serve Jesus to the best of my ability. Today, we are looking at our vocational well-being. And the God who created and sustained the world is also the God of the workplace. And if the Christian faith isn't relevant in the workplace, then I have to say it's not relevant at all. Because you spend more time there than you do anywhere else. Our faith isn't meant to just be played out on Sundays in church or at our midweek small groups. It's meant to be on display all the time in all things. What we learn in church, the skills that we acquire from the different areas that we serve in, all of it can be applied into our work life. And Simon's not here today, they're on holiday in Devon, but he's a great example of that. He'll always say everything that he's doing in his work now, he learned in church from Leadership Academy. But it's not just about the skills we acquire, it's about the character that is formed in us. That's the most important thing. We're called to love our neighbours as we love ourselves, and that includes the people that we work with. We're called to be like Jesus at work, which isn't always easy. It's not going to be easy. We don't receive the same kind of treatment at work that we do from our fellow Christians at church. In fact, to be a Christian in the workplace can be hostile, and it can be challenging. It's the coalface where our faith gets tested and sharpened by encounters with others who ordinarily wouldn't even choose to do life with us, but we have to do it with them. And there are accusations of hypocrisy, and people, if they know who you are, they watch everything that you do, and they're waiting for you to slip up and fail. There's judgment, there's colourful language, there's conversations that we have to navigate. Can I get involved in that? Should I be speaking to them about that? Should I get involved in that gossip? It's hard to be a Christian in the workplace. It's hard, but it's not impossible. So if we're supposed to be a godly witness, my first question and my challenge to you would be this. Do your workmates and your colleagues know that you're saved? During the first term of my master's degree, at Loughborough Uni, something very, very significant happened to me because I got born again, again. So I gave my life back to Jesus, having been backslidden for seven years. And it was just a most incredible experience. It was a radical overnight conversion for me. And that was the Sunday night. And on the Monday morning, I went into uni. And we used to always sit around at the beginning, just waiting for our lecturer to turn up, who was notoriously always late. So we'd sit around and we'd always just say, oh, what did you do with your weekend? So I started the conversation. I said, right, what did you do with your weekends? What's everyone been up to? And we just went around this table. There's only about 20 of us. And everybody said what they did. And it got to my turn. And I said, I met Jesus. It was, it was a mic drop moment. In the, in the lecture theatre. It was like, what? Kate, my Jesus. It's like, I got born again. Again, I am saved. I am a different woman. 
you will not see me doing some of the things that I used to do. I am changed radically from the inside out. And the next thing that happened was this. My best mate at uni said to me, oh, I can't believe it, that's amazing. I'm a Christian. And I was like, really? And it, it wasn't that she'd done anything wrong. She, she hadn't. But she'd never vocalised what she believed in. Fascinating. Philippians 1.13 says this. Word is spread through the ranks of the imperial guard and to everyone else around me that I'm in prison because of my faith in the anointed one. Everybody knew that Paul was a Christian. And Luke 9.26 says, if you're ashamed of who I am and what I teach, then the son of man will be ashamed of you when he comes in all his glory. So do your work, colleagues. Know who you follow and what you believe. Don't put your hands up. Let's leave the challenges for a minute and do some backtracking. Work matters. And when I say work, I'm not just talking to those who go out to work or work from home. When I say work, I'm talking about anything that we do for God, anything that we put our hand to. You might be coming here on a Monday morning and and helping out at Little Rockets, our toddler group. You could be doing anything. You could be um, just volunteering. You might just be an at-home mum. Well, let me tell you, there is no such thing as just an at-home mum. Anyone who's been a mum will know. I've been a mum. I'm still a mum. It's blinking hard work, okay? It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. You just don't get paid. It's shockingly outrageous. But it's hard. It's it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. But there are people, we're all doing something. We're all working for Jesus, even if you're just looking after your children. If you're filling a a baby bottle up, changing a nappy, it's all for Jesus. We all have a vocation in life, a job, a talent, a career, a profession, whether it be traveling the world on business or walking somebody else's dogs or just being a homemaker. And today's word isn't just a word for those of you who go out to work and get paid. Like I said, we all work at something. Let me give you some stats around work really quickly. A third of our life is spent at work. That is roughly 150,000 hours over the course of a lifetime. And the average person will pull in 188 days of overtime. The average Brit spends one hour a day commuting, equating to nearly 13,500 hours of their lifetime and driving almost 100,000 miles. By the age of 30, most people have had between seven and eight jobs. And by the time you retire, you will have made over 8,000 cups of tea and coffee. So it goes without saying that work is important. We're there a lot. And it should do something for us. We should be happy in the work that we do. So work's about identifying our highest skill. It's about devoting our time to performing it because when we're born with a talent and we're all born on purpose, with a purpose, we've all got talent and gift within us, we need to find out where we can best use them so that we thrive in everything that we do. Acts 20, 24 says, but life was worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by Jesus. And the sad thing is that many people only work to make a living. They only work so that they can just go out and enjoy themselves. So many people hate their jobs. They are literally just living for the weekend to come around again. In a recent survey, seven out of 10 people said that they were dissatisfied in their work. That's not how it was ever designed to be, guys. That was not God's intention for us. So what's your goal at work? Maybe it's to create wealth, to financially support yourselves and your family. 
Maybe your motivation is fulfillment and significance. Maybe you work for the social interaction and relationship. Or maybe it's a combination, but whatever the reason is, let's not let our work just be about the money. That's what the rest of the world does. The Apostle Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your business and work with your hands so that you behave properly towards outsiders. To me, make it your ambition, that applies something, that applies a goal, it applies effort. The goal isn't to climb the ladder of success or to make a pile of money or to beat your competitors. The goal, our goal as Christians, is to be a godly witness to those who don't know Jesus. Work shouldn't be so much about how much we make. It should be about who are we influencing? Who are we impacting? Who are we witnessing to? And our witnessing often won't come through our preaching. It will come through, like I said earlier, our character and our behaviour and the things that we don't get involved in that the rest of the workplace are getting involved in and those conversations and trying to stick out and be godly. Whatever our workstation, it should also be our worship station. Worship is our total submission of our whole person to the glory of God. And that includes our jobs and in our service. You know, the things that we do on a Sunday in church for the Lord. In fact, the Hebrew word for work and worship and service is exactly the same word. It's called abodha, and it means divine service. Genesis 2.15 tells us that God's original design and desire is that our work and our worship should be a seamless way of living. Is that the case? And the reason he says it is because he's our real employer. Not our bosses. You know, the core of our work ethic, it's not what we do, it's who we serve. Paul says in Colossians 3:23, Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Anyone else find it hard to serve their boss sometimes? It's hard. Say again. Did any of the staff put their hands up? No. Ali and I have had so many bad bosses. I've had a few good ones as well, but I've had, we've had some really bad bosses. And you know, you look back, and at the time it's awful, and you just think, Lord, what is happening here? What are you doing? I want to go, I want to leave, and he won't let you. And then in later life you realise, ah, they were put in our lives for a reason, to teach us some stuff about our own character. God's very clever at that. So if you're struggling with a boss, don't quit, just ask him, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this season under this person? Some of you get depressed every Sunday night at the prospect of going back into work again. That used to be me. I used to sit on the edge of my bed at home, and he'll vouch for this, and cry every single morning and say, I don't want to go to work. I don't like it. I can't do it. It's too hard. I was working as a loss adjuster, and the learning curve was like that. <laughs> and in the role that I had... Um, Loss adjusting is um, assessing claims in the insurance industry. And in my first week, I was moved from my beautiful office overlooking the park on the rope walk to Leicestershire, the whole of Leicestershire, to deal with a storm that had happened. And I was out from 
seven in the morning till seven at night, literally going up ladders, assessing people's flat roofs and telling them whether it was covered or not. And it was, it was just awful. And the only way that you learned was by getting it wrong. And then in front of the entire office, you'd have your boss booming voice telling you in front of everybody else, you've just cost this company thousands of pounds. That claim shouldn't have been paid for. It was horrific. It was so bad that Ali actually wrote to my boss and said, you're killing my wife. <laughs> I got called into his office and he said, I've had a letter from your husband. I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, you did. Thank you. It changed my life. But I tell you what, you never feel closer to God than when you're clinging on to him for dear life. In that job, I, I had my worship on all the time in the car. Through every, every stop that I made, it was on. I'd be praying as I got to the next job. And God really brought me through. But when you're 100% reliant on him, he turns up all the time. It's incredible. So don't give up. Keep pressing on, guys. If, you, if you're really struggling with your work, sure, weigh it up. If God's saying you need to leave, leave. But if he's not, there's a reason there is a reason. And I, I ended up absolutely loving that job. I even got promoted on maternity. Didn't go back, but I got promoted. And sometimes God makes us, make, makes us wait or serve in other areas, the places that we don't really want to serve in before we get promoted to where we really want to be. I was called into the ministry at 29. We didn't pioneer this church until I was 39. That was a 10-year itch. 10 years of waiting, 10 years of having to serve somebody else's vision. And I'd love to be able to stand here today and say, I did that to the best of my ability. I was the best employee. I served them. I was humble. I submitted. I tried. I, 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 no, I really did try. But I know that I could have done better. And sometimes I often think, if I'd have really, really humbled myself and come under their authority and done everything that they told me with the right attitude, would I have actually waited 10 years for this church? I'll never know. Well, I might do one day when I ask the Lord. But we're called to serve our masters, our leaders, our bosses, our pastors and our spouses to the best of who we are, just as if we were serving Jesus. In fact, when you look at your boss, just, just try and picture Jesus. When they're really doing your head in, just think of Jesus. It's all for you, Jesus. All for you. And remember, if we're not using all the gifts that God has put in our hands to the best of our ability, what we don't maintain will eventually deteriorate. There's so much I could say on the area of vocational well-being, but I'm just going to leave you with three, three important points. Exodus 4, 2 to 5 says this. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Whatever we have in our hands when surrendered to God becomes potent and powerful and exponential. It may be in the form of your talents, your skills, your gifting, your potential, your wealth or other resources. God knows what you've got in your hand and God knows what you are capable of. So when he asked Moses what he'd got in his hand, it wasn't because God didn't know what he'd got in his hand. It was that Moses didn't know and God wanted to show him how powerful he could be with God in the centre of his life. So ask God 
the same thing. Lord, what have I got in my hand? What can I use? What can I do to bring you glory in everything that I put my hand to? You might, you might feel completely insignificant. You might feel like you've hardly got any gifts or talents. But everybody's got something. I've, I've told this story before, but I, um, Paul Scanlon was a, a big uh, preacher up in Bradford. He had a huge church and they had so many ministries coming out of that church and they were just great at empowering people and just allowing people to come to them with ideas and, and, and just releasing them. And this girl said to him, I, I haven't got any gifts really. She said, I can paint nails. And he says, well, paint nails to the glory of God. And do you know what she did? She went into the local prison, female prison, and painted nails every single weekend. And she, it was so prolific when she went in that all the staff knew that they could hand her the keys to that prison. They would go and take a break. And it was the most calmest time of every week. And the women that were in there loved it. Just painting nails, but doing it all for the glory of God. When a man called William first began considering the possibility of going to India as a pioneer missionary, his father pointed out to him that he possessed no academic qualifications that were fit for the task. And the lad replied with this, well, I can plod. Plodding might not be a skill, but if you can truly find the one thing that you're good at, the thing that you really enjoy doing, and then plod steadily forward in development of that skill, you have a great possibility for achievement. When the lad arrived in India, this was his typical day. He got up at 5.45 to read a chapter of the Hebrew Bible and have his devotional time with God. At 7am, he led family prayers in Bengali, read Persian with a tutor and a portion of scripture in Hindu. After breakfast, he translated Sanskrit into English. At 10am, he went to college to teach until 2pm. And then he translated Bengali until tea time. After an early supper, he translated some more and studied the Telugu language until he, until he preached to an English congregation at 7.30. At 9pm, he returned to translating for two hours, wrote to a friend in England, read a chapter from his Greek Testament, and finally went to bed. His plodding caused him to become the founder of the English Baptist Missionary Society and founder of a college and a university. He was a Baptist minister, a lifelong missionary to India, a translator, a social reformer, and a cultural anthropologist. His name was William Carey. Keep plodding. Ecclesiastes 9 says, whatever we find to do, we should do it well. Work at it with all your might and work as if Jesus is watching, because he is. My second point is this, whatever you do with what's in your hand, do it well. And even if it's your natural gift, it still requires some godly intervention. You know, when you look at people who are absolutely at the top of their game, sports people, professionals, they're there because they are constant learners. They're there because they've asked somebody else to coach them, to come alongside them, to point out their flaws, to make them better and stronger at the gifts they're already strongest at. It's just amazing. They take extra lessons. That was the only way I got through breakthrough with my job, was just by really putting the work in and trying my hardest and listening and learning and reading. And like I said, it was one of the steepest learning curves I've ever had, but don't curse the curve. Be the making of you. Leonardo da Vinci and people of accomplishment rarely sit back and just let things happen to them. They went out, they made things happen, 
Because what counts isn't the number of hours that you put in, it's how much you put into those hours. And third and finally, include Jesus in your work. Stories told of a surgeon in a large large hospital in America who had a habit of insisting on a few minutes alone before he performed any operation. He had an outstanding reputation as a surgeon, and one of the young doctors who often worked with him wondered if there was a correlation between this habit and this man's success. He asked the surgeon about his habit, and the surgeon said, my habit is that I have a relationship. Before every operation, I ask God to be with me. I ask him to guide my hands in, in the work. And there have been times when I didn't know what to do next in an operation, and then the power to go on would come, and the wisdom I needed was there. Power and wisdom I knew could only have come from God. So now I wouldn't dream of performing an operation without asking for his help. And the surgeon's words quickly spread through the hospital and across the country. And one day, a father brought his daughter to the hospital, insisting that the only doctor he would allow to touch her was the one who was talking to God before an operation. One of the greatest elements any person can put into his work, regardless of the field they work in, is prayer. Trust me, I did a shed load of that in my loss-adjusting job. And I'm glad I did, because it paid off. What motivates you to do your job? What energises you to do your best? Why don't you take some time every morning before you go out the door to cover yourself in prayer, to ask God to go before you, to ask God to give you opportunities, to ask God to give you creativity and wisdom to help you through your day. It's time well spent. So use what you've got in your hand, use it well, and take Jesus into work with you. And don't worry about what other people are on with. That's their life, that's their journey, that's their goal. Don't worry if someone's making more money than you are. That's where God's put them. You just stay in your lane, keep doing what you're doing, keep plodding, keep pressing on. Because when you get to heaven, it won't matter one diddly squat what your mate was earning or what your friends were getting up to. All that will matter is did you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's be cobblers for Jesus. Bless you.